What have you done with it? I did some experiments with it on the rats in the cellar, sir. Look out for this one. She's got something up her sleeve besides her arm. I have a plan in mind that will take care of Lily very nicely. I think I, uh, in honour of this film, I, I shouldn't be called Smokey for this episode. I should be called Foggy. <laughs> I think that definitely fits you. <laughs> <laughs> for any uh, Last of the Summer Wine fans out there. I think Smoggy. <laughs> smoggy. That works, doesn't it? Yeah. But I'm not from Middlesbrough, so. Anyway, welcome to All the Best Lines. I am Smoggy. Oh, we're in. Hey. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I'm good. And over there is my lovely friend, Adam. How are you, my friend? Great, yeah, I'm good. This is uh, it's nice to be back. I'm in a new mm. environment, so forgive me if the sounds a bit different. It was a good episode last one actually with uh with old Benny, wasn't it? Yeah. It was. It was wonderful, and um, we got some uh, wonder. Not just I, something that always that seems to happen, and it, and it happened um, when we did Pearl of Death as well. Is that people kind of listen and go, "Do you know what? I, I really want to watch those again." And and then you mm. sort of go, "Well, yeah, they're they're an hour long, so get stuck in." Mm. And, I've seen and it, yeah. a flurry of Sherlock Holmes activity actually amongst those we know. So uh, mm. yeah, I think I think the moment the moment someone mentions them again, it doesn't matter how many times you've seen them or when you've watched them, you instantly go, oh, "That's so good, That's so good." So yeah, oh, yeah, I get that as well. Sometimes when I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do with my day, just the image of Basil and Nigel appear in my head, and I go, "Oh, that's what I'm doing." Radio plays and movies and yeah. I know I have a bit of an uh, aversion to the uh, to the old radio plays. I'm not really a fan, but I think I might have to give some of those a listen. Oh, they're great. Yeah. Because how can you not want more <laughs> Basil and Nigel, you know, in your life? That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah and they're, they're totally just, it's almost like they ripped them out of the films, you know, these uh, little half-hour radio plays. You always get three suspects. You get a bit of organ music and an ad here and there, but it is Nigel and Basil yeah. on the doing what they do. It's fantastic. So yeah, it's like a, a Nigel and Basil you can take with you. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a bit wrong, but fair enough. Um, but but let me ask you. So uh, you say on on this show quite often. In fact, you say on I think every show you do quite often, which is that you. Um, mm. This film's you, a ten. Yeah. Well, well that tr- that too. You are far too generous with your tens, but that's oh, yeah, a that's I a know. conversation for I another day. Good films. That's all. That's, that's for all another day. Let's pick good films. That's Sorry. another day. Portrait of Jenny. But so, <laughs> but but you have said uh, that you watch films while you're cooking Sunday dinner for your family, and uh, I wondered what's the top of the list. Is it is it the Brighton Strangler or is it uh, a Sherlock? In terms of the amount of times you have just watched the it while I've cooking, them. yeah. I watch The Brighton Strangler at least once a week. <laughs> at least once a week. And I watch a Sherlock Holmes film probably about the same. I would say probably Sherlock Holmes is beating The Brighton Strangler. If I took Ooh. all of the Sherlock Holmes films. But, um, I mean, I watch The Brighton Strangler once a week. And I watch a Sherlock Holmes film probably once a week too. So, um, it's close. Yeah. But I don't, I don't, I don't just restrict it to Sunday now. I do it every day. Like every day, I cook dinner, so um, I will watch something every day. I'm really into Edward Everett Horton at the moment, so I've been so I see revisiting yeah. hers. Movie. Mm. There's a great film. We have to do it soon, and it's called Ooh. Sing and Like It from 1934, and it is one of the funniest films I've ever seen. It's so f- funny. I sounds can't wait for you to see it. Sounds scarily like a musical. Right. This is the thing. It's about a gangster. 
Okay, uh-huh. played by uh-huh. Nat Pendleton, who plays you know the great big lunky guy. Sure, yeah. He's fantastic and everything. Nat Pendleton is a gangster, and he has the worst taste in music. Right. So one day, <laughs> he's like walking, me, he's walking, <laughs> basically. <laughs> basically, one now day I know he's why walking you want to bit watch it. <laughs> <laughs> one day he hears this voice coming in out of the window, and it is the just Florence Foster Jenkins level bad. Oh, sweet. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and it's um, Zazu Pitts, and she's singing okay. this song about mothers, and he hears it, and he starts crying because it's so beautiful to him. And everyone else is like, what the hell is this crap? Anyway, so he says, I'm going to make a star out of this, this obvious, you know, underseen star. Yes. So he pays Broadway's... Oh, he doesn't pay him. He sort of bullies Broadway's biggest producer, played by Edward Everett Horton, okay. into making this woman a star. And it's just so funny. I couldn't believe it. I was on Institutes when I was watching it. It's brilliant. Wasn't there something along those lines with... Um, I, oh, God, my memory's failing me. Of trying to get... Um, Sinatra in The Godfather or something along those lines. Wasn't there something really weird like that? And they tried to mm. bully him and extort him into being in The Godfather. Or am I just <laughs> making that up? Um, I think, I think wasn't The Godfather singer story loosely based on a real... Right. Like, wasn't it like Vic Damone or someone like that? Right. But, um, but I, I, do, I do think... I think Frank Sinatra was as well connected as they come in I, I don't think anyone could have forced him to no, <laughs> without, no, getting there, without getting kneecapped. There's but I know what you mean, yeah. Slither of a memory in there of something like that. But yeah, well yeah, look, I mean that sounds good. I mean I, I tell you what, do you would would you like that to be our pick for the next episode? Mm. Right off the bat? Yeah, actually that would be that would be good fun because it's just you know, it's a film that no one's heard of, even I hadn't heard of. I just turned up in this sort of collection I was scanning. I was like, oh that sounds interesting. And whatever at Horton, no, what's that? Nat Pendleton, oh, that's better. Zazu Pitts, oh, that's fantastic. What's it about? It's about a woman who can't sing, who <laughs> is basically, to, like, you know, and, and a gangster who has no taste, and um, he's trying to make her a star. And I just thought, that sounds like a really good concept. And, oh, my God. I was actually in Stitches. I was watching it, <laughs> I watched it twice this week. And I was like, this is such a great film. So, yeah. It's called Sing and Like It from 1934. Just a really good, forgotten, never-seen film. Well, there you go. That's that's what we'll be talking about next time. See? Cool. It's another... I I would say... (laughs) It's it's another um it's love I'm after that's what I think it is. yeah Sweet. it's one of those sort of films that no one's heard of but it's really funny so yeah that's great we'll do that next time there you go Thank you. look how easy that is <laughs> yeah I love how I've got my page open for footsteps in the fog and all it's showing me is the trailer for Oppenheimer so yeah <laughs> I, 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 I like. I really like the new trailer for Oppenheimer. I went to see Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny last night, and okay. um, they showed the um, Oppenheimer trailer, the new mm. Oppenheimer trailer before it. And I, I, the more I see, when it first came out, I was like, "Oh, that looks stuffy and boring." And then the second trailer came out, and I was like, oh, "That's a bit more interesting." And then the trailer they showed last night, the, the mm. final trailer or whatever, there, I think they've done a good job of sort of turning it into something with mass appeal and from what i hear the initial screenings have all been people are walking out absolutely you know white as a ghost that, saying this is like yeah. a modern horror film so i'm quite interested now i mean you know from the last what 20 30 30-ish years i i don't think you can rely on any trailer for any christopher nolan film to tell you exactly what's going to happen because they mm. all end up something completely different than what you thought Mm. Especially when it comes to something like, say, 
Uh, I mean, I mean, <sighs> Memento and, and Dunkirk for two right off the bat, which I thought were going to be very different from what they ended up being. Yeah, so I think, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. But I'm much, you know, I mean, this is obviously going to date us horrendously, but I mean, I'm much more looking <laughs> forward to, to Oppenheimer than both Indy and Barbie. So, uh, yeah, oh, things that things that end I'm exactly e. the opposite. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I couldn't <laughs> give a shit Barbie. about either of those. So, yeah. No. Oh. Well, well, I'm, Indiana I'm, Jones, not, a fa- I'm not a fan. I'm not an oh. Indiana Jones fan. I didn't like any of the, the first four movies, so I'm not going to rush out to see uh, number five. So, um, and Barbie is, I don't think it's a film that's made for me. So, yeah, uh, Oppenheimer, yeah, bring it on. I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Well, I, I can say Indiana Jones was fun. Definitely mm. three out of five. Uh, there were far too much CGI. That's the only thing that ruined it for I've me. read about Lots that. of fun, yeah. lots of lots of ro- jumping about, lots of, you know, archaeology and historical, and, oh, the legend of this was this. And I, yeah. I kind of loved all that about the old Indiana Jones films, but... I mean, when you put it next to Raiders of the Lost Ark, and you can see the ball rolling towards him, and you can see the spears going through their faces. And I mean, I know they it didn't have real ghosts ripping the skin off the Nazi's face. Again. I know those Sadly. were special effects, but you know, it was very small the amount of special effects. But yeah. everything was a special effect in Dial of Destiny. I mean, there's a chase through New York in which it, it's basically a cartoon, and I did think to myself. Oh, blimey! Just it, you know, just it's something about an overuse of CGI that just just completely puts a shutter down between me and a movie. It's like yeah. I, can, I, I like it to enhance a film, not be the film. Yeah. And um, Barbie, I think, I think looks brilliant, and I will watch <laughs> anything that has the name Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach on it. Well, think, well this is it. I love both of those, and I love Margot Robbie, and I love Ryan Gosling, and so I, I. I should want to see it, but I just think the oversaturation of uh, marketing has been really, really annoying. And this was something I, I mentioned on Rated H uh, in the last episode of Rated H when I met, when I mentioned. Uh, I won't go into this too far. Obviously, this is not a, a horror show, but I was talking about uh, Evil Dead Rise and. Mm. The marketing and saturation of promotion for Evil Dead Rise really, really annoyed me. And that's a franchise I adore. So you can imagine if it's something that I have no connection to whatsoever, does exactly the same. I'm going to uh, contrarily already have a dislike for for it. Um, I, th- I think, especially in the 21st century, is that you, you do risk alienating the viewer which I, uh, the casual viewer, sorry, I'll change that, the casual viewer, who may have had a passing interest. And it's like, well, you're you're pushing it too much in my face now. Whereas before I could have gone, do you know what? I might give that a shot because it seems fun. It seems quirky. It's got a great cast. It's got, as you say, a great uh, creative team. But when it comes down to it, it's sort of like, well, you've just tried a little something. Like, Look at Oppenheimer. It hasn't pushed anything in my face. The odd trailer here and there. I haven't seen it on any billboard anywhere. And so I just, I find that a little, yeah, it's just, I, I just find it's too much. It's too much. It's oversaturation. Mm. I, I agree. I do agree. I do think, you know, um, marketing has become uh, like a, like a, I don't know what the word is. Like, when you say viral, it does feel yeah. more disease-like now, marketing, yeah, because it's perfect, there. Yeah. It's there. It's there to permeate you and penetrate you. It's not like mm-hmm. it's not. You're not being sold to. And I, it's yeah. interesting, actually, when you think about films 
of today and how they're sold mm-hmm. to people, you know, all you do is you put it in front of eyes, whether it's yeah. on social media or TV or, you yeah. know, um, ads, email, spam, everything like that. And it's just sure. basically pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed until you know what they're talking about. Um, and you either form an opinion like you've done, which is you've mm-hmm. been in my front of my face too much. Now I've taken against you. Yeah. Um, or, you know, you hit your target audience, which mm-hmm. is a very small. So, but I think about films like Footsteps in the Fog. Mm. And you think about how they must have been uh, marketed. There must have been a poster at the cinema, mm-hmm. maybe an ad in the paper and word of mouth. You know, and, that, and that's kind of beautiful. You know, maybe they had someone go to the studio and, and do an interview with, um, you know, um, Gene Simmons and Stuart Granger. Yeah. And then there would be an article about, and oh, that sounds like an intriguing prospect. And it's based on the story by W. W. Jacobs and all that kind of thing, you know. And and you think about when people went to the cinema, they didn't necessarily even know what was on. They just yeah. looked at what was got there and said, "Oh, that's good. That's going to be a nice surprise. Or entertain us then." Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and they were big hits. They were big hits, and it is crazy, isn't it? Like you know, they would spend like nowadays they spend two hundred million on a movie and two hundred yeah. million on the marketing, mad, and the it? marketing ends up off 200 millions worth of tickets yeah. so it's, it's insane yeah 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 very strange <laughs> it's I, I am glad you've uh you've just mentioned that. in fact i'm glad we talked about this because there's also something else that i wanted to to, to chat about with you because we've we haven't chatted in a, in a little while so i don't care if no one likes our preamble but this is what's going to happen um <laughs> is, is the for, podcasting spirit <laughs> I, as i say it on on radio H as well is that i don't care uh, so right, this is free, so deal with it. Um, this is actually a little thing for our uh, American listeners, and I, I wanted to talk to you about it because we're kind of you know we're a golden age podcast, and I think this is important. Is that for anyone who doesn't know, is that the main golden age channel in in the states of TCM was was in trouble, possibly still might be. That still still seems a little bit shaky from what I've been reading about. And it was a thing that, um, obviously, for, for us, our version is Talking Pictures TV, isn't it? That's our TCM over here. And I've mentioned it somewhere before. I can't remember if it was on this show, but I have. Is that when I worked in a high street retailer of uh, DVDs and Blu-rays, I remember being told one thing by an older customer who was probably at the time, considering the time period, was buying the box set of... Uh, 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 Grand Marigold Hotel or whatever the hell it was called Best Marigold Hotel and she said <laughs> never forget the grey pound and that was always stuck with me so it would be the grey dollar for our American friends and it's it's like you can't just automatically modernise everything and just go it's old it doesn't matter let's get rid or let's get rid of three quarters of its content or whatever because oh they're old they leave it on for comfort and that while they're dribbling in their beds. That's not the case at all. These things are important. And I think, if anything, the show we do and the shows the shows you do prove that there there is more of a thirst for Golden Age cinema now than there has been in a long time, I think. I'm 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 new to this world, much more new to it than you are. But I was I was wanting to hear your opinion about the whole TCM and also with the talking pictures in this country as well, which is thriving. Well, um, we have TCM in the UK, and it's a terrible, terrible version of TCM. I, don't know I wasn't even aware. It. Yeah, we've had it for as long as TCM's been out in the US. Wow. Um, and in the UK, we get 
I mean, on TCM, you will have like point blank from 1970, whatever. And you'll get like, um, you'll get like Brigadoon. And then you'll get these weird sort of 80s films that flew under everyone's radar. It's like a really bad version of TCM. Mm-hmm. I was recently in Los Angeles and I watched TCM on a loop. I had it on all the time because I wanted to see what real TCM was like. And mm-hmm. I can tell you now, it's one of the best resources, the most finely curated TV stations, not just of old movies, but of anything. Yeah. Like you have people who truly, truly care coming on and telling you why these films matter, what the context was, why they failed or succeeded at the time. And it's not just pre code and stuff. It wasn't just no, no. 40s, 50s. There was stuff from the 70s as well. Like mm-hmm. I, um, I watched such interesting films when I was over there. I would never have watched. But because they made it sound so appealing, you're like, mm, yeah, okay, fine. So, you know, yeah. I've got a take out Berg when I sat there and watched it I was like bloody hell they were right you know it's fantastic so um, I think the, the tendency these days is to think of anything that's made by a studio as content and the mo- the minute it hits a cinema it has to make money mm. you need to see a full return on it within two weeks otherwise it's a complete failure yeah and like the uh, you know the most recent one of these things is The Flash Warner Brothers was sure. released um, and it had Michael Keaton back as Batman and you know all the yeah. Supergirls in it and t- flashing their multiverse and blah 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 blah. But because it hasn't made as much money as they needed it to in week one or two, mm-hmm. it's a flop. Apparently who's to say so. how much that? F- who's to say how much money that film will make in its lifetime? Yeah. And it's not going to be deleted and obliterated from history. It's got generations to go. It will make its money Absolutely. back. Everything will, will make its money back. But the thing is, um, because of the failure of that film, this, the rumour is that um, David Zaslav, who Warner Brothers mm-hmm. executive, looked at that and said, we are losing so much money. We're mm-hmm. spending way more than we should on DC films. Um, and we're losing so much money on them at the moment. They lost money on Shazam. They lost money on Black Adam. Lost money on The Flash. Yep. That they're like, where can we cut costs? And the trigger point was TCM. It doesn't That's really bring mad. us that much money. So, so they pulled a couple of creative... Have it now. Thankfully, we have people like Spielberg and Scorsese and Paul Thomas Anderson who instantly said, "Hold the train." Went in and spoke to him and said, "We thought you were a champion of cinema heritage." Um, and it looks like Z- Zaslav like- has such a reputation of being a grim reaper of Hollywood. He just mm. likes cutting stuff. Well, and I am in a position where I, I I do know a few producers now, mm, and I know sure. a couple of writers, and I'm also and and, and they, uh, I mean, you know, I, I won't say who they are, but no, no, um, the 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 voices I hear say that um, he's a very reactive man, and he has just <laughs> up basically. You, you can so, tell. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, he really he's can. up. He's made a mistake. It sounds like he doesn't, you know. It doesn't want. To, I don't think. I don't think the thing was to kill TCM. I think the thing was like, oh, where can we save you know two million a year from there, 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 and there? And TCM was just one of the places that got pruned. That was all. But it was the um, biggest that got pruned. Yeah. <laughs> but what? But it showed the the vitriol that's come out of um, mm. social media from TCM fans, including myself. You know, I, I posed that straight away. Like, like, you know, this can't be touched because the thing is, you can't. The, the, the Flash, even, is a film that will be on TCM one day. It will Eventually. be in one of these legacy catalogues things, and people yeah. will go, here's why it should have been appreciated. And for the him to say, be so 
like short-sighted and to mm-hmm. say, or you know, it doesn't matter because these films were made a hundred years ago. Dude, in a hundred years, you're gonna be the Jack Warner of your day. You, you know, do you want do you want your what do you want your legacy to be? It's insane. Um, Brilliant. Every single movie that's made is just one more contribution. It's one more chip on the marble block of cinema. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we, it, just polish it, preserve it, keep it pristine. If if you, you suddenly have a failure, don't chip a bloody finger off and go, well, that's mm-hmm. that hand gone. That's that sculpture ruined. On everything, everything that anyone does who loves cinema, it all adds to the bigger whole. TCM is, I would say, the root. It's like the, the thing that's planted firmly in the soil. Just yeah. add to it and make it more brilliant. Yeah. Um, so I think everything, every kind of podcast I make, which celebrates old films, this podcast, TCM, mm-hmm. you know, the, the outpouring of love yeah. for cinema's heritage, it just shows that people love cinema. And it doesn't matter when they come to old films. You can't expect young people to go and mm-hmm. watch TCM. But, but they will one day. They'll discover it one day. Because the films they loved or are interested in from five generations before them or however many generations before them will one day be as part of this sort of catalogue stuff. Um, it just so happens that our generation is, is you know, mad about old Hollywood and everything else. Um, oh, I don't know. I know it's a, it's a muddled <laughs> thing, but I'm saying you know, cinema as a whole. I wanted be to get your view preserved. on it. I really did because your your other shows, uh, as wonderful as they are, um, you, you're not gonna speak about this subject like this on those shows. Um, mm. I'm not putting words in your mouth. That's just my opinion. That I think, but I I, I, will, I will sum it up this way, right? In the 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 three uh, sorry the two other shows I do, one is horror, one is Hammer. Some of the the I've copped from horror fans, fine, I don't care. Some of the crap I've copped from Hammer fans, fine, I don't care about that as well. But I have never copped any from Golden Age fans for doing this show. They've been like, great, you're in, mm. you're enjoying these films, um, and that that's the difference in my yeah. in my eyes. You know, I as I said, you know, our lovely friend Zach bestowed me with the moniker of the bad boy of Golden Age cinema. But he's kind of right because I don't belong in this pool and but I'm but I'm here and I'm learning and I'm enjoying. And Of course you do. Well, <laughs> but but then I but then I see <laughs> this this sort of attack on TCM and I I, I did not even know there was a version on in this country. I that was completely mm. new to me when you said that. It's it's appalling. Yeah. But, uh, but I, rightly reviled. <laughs> yeah. Well, mm. fair news, but yeah. I, I'll I'll take your word for it. I'll never watch it. But but then I see our friends and uh, you know online or, or or in person, and they're they're upset and they they're gutted that this thing that possibly was going to happen but now isn't. Thank you to Mr. Spielberg and Scorsese. But I mean that's. Yeah, I don't want to see my friends upset when they something they truly love is is being threatened. I mean that's horrible, and for something so innocuous as well, of of mm. this wonderful platform that gives so so much joy to so many lovely people. I mean that's that's just shit, you know. Do, do you know the the thing I really have a problem with is um, mm. movie studios. They don't deal in millions; they deal in billions. Okay, so Warner Brothers sure. profits, whether it's from film ticket sales, whether it's from DVD sales, streaming, subscription, merchandise. Music as well. Technology, music, everything. You can't tell me Warner Brothers has ever said, 
oh crap, we only made 140 billion or whatever this year instead of 139 billion. Yeah. So, you know, we're going to have to trim 2 million off TC. I mean, it's like it's so, just it's just madness. madness. It's like if your profits go like this and then up the next year and then down and up, it, you're still making this much money. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter. This is all money in the bank. It's just, it's insane. It, really it just drives is. me mad. They, they need constant growth. And if they're not constantly growing, then they somehow see that as failure. Somehow, yeah, but there's sometimes an end point it's You can't keep going. Exactly. Sometimes it's <laughs> fine to just make some money. Yeah. Okay? And and your costs leave you with a huge profit. Now, if, if those huge profits dip slightly sometimes, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you have to kill things off. It just means, you know, you just didn't make as much money this year, but you still have you, made money. Agreed. Do you know, sir, I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, <laughs> A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, at my mum's, and she had, like you do when you when your parents get a little older, you do a lot of jobs for them, and she had a ton of painting for me to do. So I was outside in the sun for six hours painting for my mum, and I thought, well, I can't be chopping and changing podcasts all the time. So I said, right, to this, I'm going to listen to Val Luton's story again, because it's long. Because <laughs> I've got 19 hours of painting. I, I have enough time to, to listen to a massive chunk of this, and I don't have to keep you know fiddling about with my phone when I've got paint all over my hands. So, <laughs> listen to the Val Luton story again. And, um, uh, shadows, I should say. And, um, you get to things when they talk about Poverty Row productions, right? And they made not the best films, but they made money. You know, yeah. they were they were keeping going, they were surviving, but they weren't going right. Oh, damn it, we haven't made a billion or whatever it was in those days. But mm. they kept going. Mm-mm. Why has the business model changed so much when you can't just go right? We're doing well. It, do you know what, what's really? It's in- not always we have to do better. Yeah, exactly right mm. now. It's really interesting what you just said because you did mention earlier on our friends at Talking Pictures TV. Now I, I know did. Sarah and and Noel. Of now course. I know that when COVID hit. Their advertising revenue went, it withered away. So what they did was they put a real push out on social media and they built it back up and now they're bigger than ever, you know? But they didn't say to themselves, you know, I'm pulling these numbers out of my ass. These aren't figures that she shared with anyone. But I'm saying if Sarah had made a hundred thousand pound profit one year and the next year made 80,000 pound profit, I don't think she would say, right, everyone is sacked. And we're closing the channel down. Yeah. She would say to herself, "We've made eighty thousand pounds profit. That's you know, great. That's profit. Yep. You know, uh, stick that with last year's, and we now have one hundred and eighty. She wouldn't. And that's the difference. <laughs> when you're not controlled by a financial institution or mm-hmm. a gang of lawyers who need to see the needle going like that all the time. Yeah. When it's the human, when the human element at the back of it. So yeah, well, we didn't make as much money as we did last year, but we still made a. Sound of money, yeah. You know that's that's basically that's the way the difference is yeah. when you and everyone says, oh, it doesn't matter if corporations take over studios because they're just business. It does matter when mm-hmm. you don't have a single person or a couple of single people who can get together in a room and talk. When you're controlled by an algorithm or a mm-hmm. stock market or a or a brokerage yeah. or someone who doesn't care about cinema and and just sit there, you know, with the sleeves rolled up, going, um, I can't afford my, you know new Bugatti this week, <laughs> then, uh, you know, it, yeah. it, it, it does it does weaken um, studios. I, I just yeah. I think it's such a shame. The resolve goes the, the, away, the, the, yeah. I, yeah. I dearly okay. wish, I dearly hope and wish that, um, I mean, this was floated out as a, you know, a possible solution on social media. I did see it, and it was like with Spielberg, Scorsese, and Paul Thomas Anderson pulled their money. They could buy TCM and then make it into that. And I'm like, 
that would be amazing because it was mm-hmm. if it was someone who cared and someone who owned it like Ted Turner didn't start it off as a you know no. I'm going to sell this to Warner Brothers he he did it because he loves movies and like wanted to keep them uh, he wanted to preserve them and wanted to show them to future generations and yeah. it got lost but now maybe it's coming back to to that personal thing that sounds pretty cool what it needs to be is its own thing it's untouchable and um, you know, you get this much budget every year, and and if you, you you'll always make money with TCM, but it might not be as much money as other avenues. But just leave it alone, right? Yeah. It's not doing anyone any harm, nope. and it's a, it's a jewel in the crown uh-huh. for God's sake. It's something you pay for and don't worry about. It, yeah, they have to, it, it's paid for, and um, and and then looks at you know who, who came out, you know Mark Hamill and Ryan Reynolds, and just all these celebrities going, don't you dare. You know, this is a part of what of it, you know, and it was sort of like that's really cool, because mm. I mean, think of <laughs> apart from talking pictures in this country, think of any other channel, and no one would come out and go, "Hang on, no, you're not allowed to do that." <laughs> <laughs> Every other channel, it, oh, oh, it's Dave. Oh, get rid of it. <laughs> Who cares? You know, <laughs> but because it's it's important to people, it's sort of like, no, no, you you keep going with that, yeah. The problem is when you when you <clears throat> not the problem the the best thing about heritage mm. cinema is that if you are a fan then you are a lifelong and you don't just sure. you're not just you're not just someone who dips in dips out and yeah it's fine mm. you'll love it with all of your yeah. heart and that's the thing with TCM it doesn't have casual fans it has you know committed it's almost like a marriage with Absolutely. TCM and yeah. having seen it for two weeks in, in LA. I am absolutely distraught that we don't have something like that over here. I mean, yeah. We have the talking pictures, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. not curated to the extent that no. uh, TCM is curated to. And um, I, I, I think with talking pictures as well, um, there's lots of nice legacy TV on there, mm-hmm. lovely films they have. Yeah. But um, when you see TCM and you see the, um, like, you know, I don't know I don't, if it's the Hollywood gloss of it all, but when you see the amount of effort they put in just to, to put on some throwaway 1931 film that no one's ever seen before. They'll research it. They'll tell you why it mad. They'll, they'll, they'll tell you all about the stars and the context of the thing. And by the time it starts, you're like, God, I'm so fired up for this. I can't believe it. I can't, I can't wait to see this. You know? <laughs> it's like, I don't, I don't want to work today. I don't want to do anything. I just want to yeah. see this film. Um, and and that's the, um, that's the kind of relationship that, it has with its viewers, so for for them to even have had an inkling that it might have been going away, yeah, must have been a really terrifying prospect. Absolutely, yeah. And, and as I say, I mean, I, I it's my my concern was, you know, uh, I you know, I don't mind admitting in the minority of for golden age uh, cinema fans, but but mainly for our friends who love it and uh, and you know mm. and and want it to continue. That was a real annoyance for me because like you're upsetting my friends don't do this you know so i i really it really me off from all these thousands of miles away and uh, and i'm just sort of like this this is not a good thing but then as i said watching it unfold from this side of the pond and and seeing these lovely and you know uh generous famous people coming out and sort of saying actually yeah don't do this because it has it is part of the fabric you know don't get rid of it and or don't tear it apart and strip it for parts and mm. sell it on or whatever and it was it was really really frustrating and 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 i was incredibly sympathetic and and hopefully as you say because of uh scorsese and spielberg and uh pta that hopefully 
it's all safe now, but we wait with bated breath on that one, I think. Safe TCM. Hashtag safe TCM. Damn right. TCM party, baby. (laughs) Every night. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right, we're here to talk about film. Bearing it. uh, Yes, we are. Believe it or not. Oh, 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 we've got an email. Right. All right. <laughs> right. Okay. I'll go. I'll, I'll I'll go through. I'll no no. It's fine. I'll 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 go through this. Um, I don't want to think we're forgetting her. Uh, because this was set right. So a, a little. I, I'm going to need to explain this a little bit. This got sent to us in March. Okay. Now mm. in March, you and uh, uh, sorry, me and your very good self, we recorded two episodes back to back. Right. So one was for March. One was for April. And then, and then, um, <laughs> yes, we did. And then we, then June's, uh, sorry. Oh, um, yes, we did. I was moving May, so May's again, episode was one with mm. our uh, lovely friend, uh, Beniel. And mm. this technically, even though we're recording on the 1st of July, is June's episode, right? So I responded to the emailer and said, look, I'm really sorry. This is going to take ages for us to read out, but I, it will get read out. Uh, so it is our lovely and wonderful friend Bonnie. Ah, so Bonnie, Bonnie, Bonnie. Yeah. I'm so, just, just quick, quickly advance, advance notes. I have invited her to come onto the show. <gasps> oh, that's wonderful. Well, this show or because, your show? No, this show because um, oh, she wonderful. was coming to the UK and um, and we both it was a flying, her. flying visit, and um, I couldn't make it work because I was I in the middle of moving house. So I did say, as compensation, would you please like to come on the show? Not had a reply yet, so hopefully... Oh, well, Bonnie, if you're listening, you are more than welcome onto the show whenever you Mm. wish, and we will make it work, I promise. Um, But Bonnie is uh, talking about our episode about uh, All Quiet in the Western Front, and she said it was incredibly Mm. affecting. She says, I've never seen uh, the version that Adam was... uh, Sorry, she says, I've never seen that version, but I agree with Adam about... The, the one we reviewed. Um, but she said, oh, but okay. I, I agree with Adam about the TV version, which you mentioned mm. in that episode. The Richard Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. She says, I remember watching that in school and it made quite an impression. The glorification yeah. of war and the romanticizing of the glorious death for your country have ruined uh, has ruined uh, millions of lives. This film, along with Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan, should be a required curriculum. I can't really disagree with that. Mm, I, I think it is in lots of places. But yeah. Oh, is it? Oh, that's wonderful. Mm, mm, uh, that's she she continues. Also, your diversion at the end regarding the uh, the idiocy of censorship hit hard too. We did talk about censorship quite a bit. Um, and she says, uh, since I apparently now live in the uneducated states, I like what she did there. Uh, she says, I can tell you that these moronic arguments are coming up more and more often. Censorship of books, educational matters, films, human beings. It's disgusting. I'll come back to her point that she says here just a little moment uh just concluding uh she says i hope you always remain unedited out in the wilds of podcasting it's always a joy it's always a joy to listen to the two of you but you've really hit on some very important things this episode the least of (laughs) the least of which are dinosaurs in schindler's list which is what you did (laughs) mr roach so yeah, um, but no, she says uh, what I was uh, referencing before. She says I have a reminder to myself to, uh, sorry, I have a reminder to myself to stand up for all things from one of the books slash films on the chopping block to kill a mockingbird. And she sent us a picture. Uh, she has a tattoo on her wrist, 
which says uh, Miss Jean Louise stand up or Miss Jean Louise Miss Jean Louise uh, stand up, which I think is is incredibly powerful. Um, mm-hmm. Let's not go into that anymore. We did that on the episode, but um, we we did the whole censorship thing and and how we're very lucky to work in a medium that is unregulated. So um, you can you can yeah. say what you want on a podcast. You know. Yeah. As you I can. said, I mean, your audience decides um, uh-huh. if they're offended or not. Which yeah. is the way it. There's an argument to say it's the way it should be in all media, but saying that, I do, I do think. As I said, media, as long as they should, there should be reins put on it sometimes. <laughs> True, yeah. but as I said, as long as you're not, you know, dealing out advice on how to kill children or things like that, you know, podcasting, you can mm. pretty much do whatever you want. But you know, yeah. there you mm. go. But uh, but no, thank you, Bonnie. And uh, it's a very heartfelt uh, email. And um, (laughs) yes, you are more than welcome on the the show. In fact, wasn't it Bonnie who suggested we did More the Merrier uh, when we did that? Wasn't it Bonnie's? Yeah. Was it Bonnie or did she do Notorious? It was definitely recommendations. She did. I think it was that one. I I can't quite remember. It's been a long time. Um, Actually, speaking of which, sorry, let me just get this out. Give it a couple of months. Uh, We're edging towards our three-year anniversary. Ooh, cool. Who knew? What should we go. do? Well, hang on. Let's just have a little look at the... Uh, bear with me. I'll edit this out. So... I'm sure you won't. <laughs> well... <laughs> so many times I've listened to this show, you've got to, oh, don't I worry, am. I'll edit this out. I have and a... Book 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 I, I admit. Fart, I, and, a, uh, and a can opening. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, uh, Footsteps in the Fog uh, is going to be episode 28. And then... Yes, it is. The film you profit. <laughs> oh, you sat all of a sudden convincing there. <laughs> no, no, uh, shall I tell you how I know? Oh, okay. Oh, you'll see. <laughs> what do you mean? I'll see. You're not going to tell me. You'll see. Because um, I'm. I've asked you to do a patron extra with me. <gasps> uh, mm. Okay, you have. Yes, I have, and you've kindly agreed. Um, I have. There's a special. All the best lines. Uh, version um, heading to my Patreon at patreon.com slash attaboysecrets um, in, the, in the coming days um, uh-huh. where I will be testing smoking on the 27 films that we've oh. watched so oh. far. My crap. Well, well, come on to I, this feed eventually. As well. should, should I stop looking at the All the Best Lines feed right now? Is that cheating? Uh, no, I mean, you can see the titles yeah. of the films. I have Fair 27 enough. questions for you. Let's <gasps> just say that. Wow, okay. Fair enough. Well, <laughs> so, well, sound convincing, did I, Smokey? <laughs> only, oh, oh, only because in the three years we've been doing this, you've actually done some research. So, Thank you. Nine films <laughs> a year. It wasn't that <laughs> My point, my original point, mister, was that, so that's going to be, uh, this is going to be episode 28, the film you mentioned at the start, I forget, I forget the title, I'm sorry, about the singing thing. That's going to be 29. So yep. we might as well make our three-year anniversary uh, at the thirtieth episode. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, and I and I'm picking that film. So yeah. What, when that, is our three-year anniversary? What date? Uh, it's uh, it's September. Um, okay, that makes sense. So sorry, we could do next episode in August, and then the the first uh, ever episode of All the Best Lines came out on the twenty-fifth of September. Cool. So if we have twenty-nine in. August then, which mm-hmm. will be Sing and Like It from 1934. And then Sing and Like It, that's episode it. 30. Yep. Um, on the 25th of September. Should we try and get released for then? 
Poison. Oh, easy. Easy. <laughs> well, I must admit, I'm very intrigued with the uh, with the quiz that I'm about to face in about an hour's time. Um, okay, let's talk about footsteps in the fog, shall we? Okay. Um, right, so this was a, a dealer's choice that I gave you at the end of the last episode. And mm. you, you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but had this been recommended to you recently? Is that how yeah. you'd come across it? Yeah, a good friend, a mutual friend, Robert Stroud, who Robert, I believe is yes. a House of Hammer fan too. He's he a um, man. he constantly sends me films. Like every every time he sees a film from this sort of era on any sort of channel, wherever he is in the world, he tells me whether it's good or not. He's just sent me one this week actually, and uh, this was one he sent. Twenty three paces to Baker Street was another one he sent to me, which is very sort of Hitchcockian thriller about a blind man living in London who overhears what he thinks is uh, some kind of murder plot. So he has yeah. to use what he can remember of the conversation to the, investigate it through other people, including a butler that he does, sort of gets to go off. And, it's a really good film. Does the title... It's a bit I mean, the, I, I remember uh, reading the, your uh, your thoughts about it the other day, but um, does the title have anything to do with Sherlock? No, no, no. It's actually it's actually something to do with the dinner more. So he's trying to get to somewhere, and at the end, he has to remember that there's wherever he is now, the spot he's in. There are twenty three paces to Baker Street, so he has to go there. He has to get there before the killer, and like you know, it's quite tense. But it's, it's very do, well done. Do you not do you not think though? I mean, throwing Baker Street in your title, you're gonna mm. pull in the Sherlock crowd, aren't you? People no, are gonna think that's a Sherlock film. Yeah. Yeah, that's I think I think Good that's right. We're going back to it. That's corrupt marketing. That's devious. This whole marketing. thing is Sherlock tacular, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so one of the films he sent me was was 1955's uh, Footsteps in the Fog, which he mm. said he watched on a TV channel, and he said it's really interesting. You should watch it. Mm. So I racked it up when I was cooking dinner one day, and I burnt, burnt the dinner because it was so good. I was very impressed. And I'm not. I'm. I'm actually not a massive fan of Stuart Granger. I, mm. I find him a little bit. I don't know, a little bit too smarmy in everything I've ever seen. I just find him a little bit of a turn off. I think Gene Simmons is absolutely cracking. I've always been in love with Gene yeah, Simmons. Yeah, she's great, isn't she? From, from the age of you know very young boy, when I first saw her in Great Expectations, and she played Sibella, and I, she's she's so cat-like, and she's so... I don't know, there's something so so perfectly, wickedly amazing about her all the time. Um, and Angel Face with Robert Mitchum is another one of these noirs that you just can't believe is real because it's so evil. Um, and she's so great in it. She's so she's wonderful, delightfully she? wicked. Um, but yeah, so I, I, was, I racked it up and I put it on and I was instantly taken with Arthur Lubin's foggy version of you know Victorian London. And I really liked the whole lodgerish um, aspect of the you know the house, the creek, and. What I really love, and I've I've worked out from watching this film, is that I love films where you have two horrible people yeah. um, d- in a battle of wits mm-hmm. for the whole film. I just yeah. love that. I, mm-hmm. I think uh, this film has made me realise how much I bloody love that. Because if you remember our first episode, I Obsession, yeah. and it was Sally Gray versus Robert Newton, mm-hmm. and it's just two awful people like biting at each other and trying to play each other all the time and I think yeah. my reaction to this film and I don't expect everyone to agree because I do think there are issues with it but I do think uh, this isn't obsession don't get me no. wrong but I think that story trope that whole you have two two awful people um, at war with each other like War of the Roses with Michael Douglas and Kathleen Perfect. Turner and Danny yeah that's a good shout yeah. it, it's that kind of relationship in this film and I, I just bloody love it 
So I, I came away from this film very impressed. And I thought the whole third act of it was just really spellbinding. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, that's, yeah, wonderful. I, I can't disagree with that at all. Um, I know what you mean about Stuart Granger, though. I, I, I was looking through his filmography and uh, the man acted a lot. Yeah. And uh, I, my list said I hadn't seen anything from him before. And I was like, that can't be right. Um, but it's only because I haven't added ratings for things that I have seen. What was the first thing that came up that I had seen him in? Uh, sorry, bear with me. Oh, <laughs> the Wild Geese. I'd seen him in The Wild Geese, oh, yeah. which I haven't <laughs> seen in 25 years. So I was sort of like, oh my God, you know, I can't remember him. But I get what you mean about him. He's a little, he's a little stiff. Yeah. But, but he's very then... Formica. He's like, <laughs> he's like, you know, the, you know, um, when you go into a house and there are lots of nice antiques. <laughs> Yeah? No. And then you go no, into a caravan. <laughs> and it's just all very fake, but shiny. Mm-hmm. That's the vibe I get from Stuart Granger. I don't know why. Right because I've never hated him in a role. It's just that yeah. I see him and I go, oof, Stuart Granger. I got you. I got you. However, um, I, I, I couldn't not see this from minute one when they were on screen together, which is you have... Stuart Granger and Gene Simmons, you know, looking at each other and acting opposite each other. All I could see was Bruce Campbell and Emily Mortimer. <laughs> that was yeah. all I could see. I get you. Yeah, he's, he's they, very Bruce Campbellish, and uh, she's very in Emily sort of stature and profile. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. She's that. she's got that demure but kind of sexy look, but but not conventionally sexy. She's a little I mean I mean Belinda Lee who we meet later in the film is conventionally sexy whereas mm. I think Gene Simmons is unconventionally sexy if you know what I mean well, um, Gene Simmons like you know she has a great face shape oh absolutely and she has lovely eyes and she's very yeah. beautiful oh, but yeah. you do get the sense that all of the appeal from Gene Simmons is coming from within somewhere it's the there's attitude. like there's there's, there's it, yeah it's like there's, there's something about her that just if if you had they live glasses. You'd see something right. different with Gene Simmons. Gotcha. You know, it's like I don't know what it is about Gene Simmons. She's like she's Lovely. conventionally beautiful, but not yeah. perfect. And then, but somehow she's the oddly most compelling thing you've ever seen in a film. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I really love her as a right. as a screen presence. I get the exact uh, opposite reaction with Stuart Granger. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't fancy him at all. <laughs> um, I would like to point out though, but as I just mentioned, her, uh, Belinda Lee. Mm. I just did a segment on Belinda Lee for the House of Hammer because yeah. she she has just been in a in a couple of films that we that we've done, and uh, and especially the one that we talked about very recently, which was Murder by Proxy, mm. which she was astoundingly good. And she was only, she was only on, I think she was 18, 19 when she made that. And mm. um, and we talked about it on the show and sort of said that at, at one point she was, you could you can almost hear the director saying, right, Belinda, just smolder, smolder for the camera. Mm. And, and she did, and... Uh, I think Ben said that not only did she almost melt the camera, but she kind of melted his soul. And uh, and she is. She's just a, a wonderful... And, and sadly, a very tragic young life. But to see her in this, you know, as I said, I've seen her very recently, and to see her in this was, was wonderful. This... Uh, I uh, During the week, at time of recording, I put out the trailer for this on our socials, right? Mm. And I... Uh, watch the trailer before I watch the film. 
A, didn't expect this to be in colour, because I'm so used to black and white at the moment. Mm. Everything mm. I watch is black and white at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm just not used to it. And, and I, I, maybe it's just because of what I'm used to watching at the moment, but what strikes me first straight away of this film, we'll get onto the plot in a minute, but what strikes me first of this film is the use of the colour. I think it's wonderful. Because when it needs to be bright, it's bright. When it needs to be dour, it's dour. And I think it works so well. The the, the colour adds such a layer to this film that I think it's wonderful. It looks like a painting all the time. And as you That's say, um, the, the whole... I mean, you know, everyone had these sort of paintings... Everyone saw these paintings as a child in their nan's house, you know, little lamp yes. streets, and there was a gypsy woman, and sort of thing. it's that kind of palette. It's very moody and it's very Monet kind of thing. It's it's yeah. really lovely to watch, um, but I don't think this film would have worked in monochrome because things like I don't know when Lily puts the clothes on of of them, you know, the the dead mistress and and things like that. Yeah. I don't think that. That those scenes, I don't think they would have popped if it was just another monochrome woman walking into a scene. You know, it, it has to have the impact of oh my god, she's wearing that dress. Kind of. Well, thing. I, I mean, that know. was actually I might as well do it now because that was going to be a question uh, that I was going to give you uh, uh, later on. But I might as well do it now then. So, is that two films that kind of sprang to mind a little bit while watching this were Rebecca and Gaslight. Mm. Mm. Is it a little bit Perfect. of a smash, smash together of those two films? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've kind of already answered it, but you, you think that the colouring uh, works works for this. But if you think about you smash Rebecca and uh, Gaslight together, and it, they're incredibly effective films for what they want to achieve. Um, so mm. I'm, I'm going, uh, apologies, but I'm going to disagree with you. Like, I think this would work just as well in black and white as well, especially the, the scenes in the fog and, and whatnot. I think, I think they would work. Cool. I'm just very glad they're in colour. Yeah, no, I'm not disagreeing. mm, I mean, Arthur Lubin is a fantastic director, but I don't know if he's Hitchcock. But, you know, and I don't know if he's Thorold Dickinson or George Kukul. But, you know, great. I mean, I really liked his direction, but I just think, um, I don't don't know. With Gaslight, I didn't really get the sense that I needed colour there. It was more about the no, edges no. of the screen and that you know where it was darkness encroaching and, and with the lights up and down um, and with Rebecca I think god that film was a gift to monochrome especially with shots like Mrs. Danvers through the net curtain and you know the blazing bright brilliance of Mandalay on fire and stuff like that I don't think no no really but I do, I, I do think with this one the the, the fog scenes as you say yeah they could work yeah, but, yeah. Um, I do think there's a there's a real because because there's a sense of drabness as well to the house. It's all grey, yes. and he's a he's like a shadow figure that yeah. walks through it. And every time Lily's in the room, there's always this sort of peach to her cheeks, and there's this brilliant. It works like, so well. She's almost like a she's almost like like she's carrying a torch through the rooms. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's perfect as it is. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I've just, I, just, I was listening, but I was just looking up because I, I wanted to to check to see if I had seen any other Arthur Lubin films. And the first one that comes up, and then, of course, with the way IMDb works up now, you pull up what it says, and it brings up the trailer straight away. And it was the the 43... Oppenheimer? F- no, uh, no, no, for once, no. Thank <laughs> Oh, sorry. Uh, but was the 43 Phantom of the Opera with uh, oh, yeah, Record Rains. Rains. That was, that was mm. one of his as well. And the trailer is playing now, and the colour palette 
is identical to Footsteps in the yeah. Fog. I'm literally, I've got my left eye on it now, and it's it's literally identical color palette. And uh, so now seeing that, and I mean, it's a few years since we reviewed it for Rated H for Phantom of the Opera, but it's, um, yeah, it's remarkable now seeing that again with fresh eyes and just going, it's it's identical. It's remarkable. <laughs> but um, fair play to him, because he obviously uh, knew what he was doing. Oh, he did Black Friday well, as well. I have seen that too. Well, but, do, you uh, know what? Um, do you know what? Arthur Lubin, you got, got to give him credit, Footsteps in the Fog and Phantom mm-hmm. of the Opera, if they were the only two films he made in colour, then my God, he knew how to bring the period. Uh, dramas into colour. So <laughs> I'm glad colour. you added that addendum at the end because <laughs> yeah. that sounded weird. Um, okay, right. We've 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 got a little bit. Do you want to give a little bit the uh, the plot because we haven't done that? Yeah, basically, um, this is set in a let's just say you know Victorian times and uh, in a house. Uh, a man is mourning the death of his wife. And is the he? film begins. Well, <laughs> the film begins. His name is Stephen Lowry. He's played by Stuart Granger. And he, um, the film begins with him being escorted home from his wife's funeral. He's very distraught and he can't believe she's gone. How is he going to live without her? Mm-hmm. And he's now a shadow of his former self. He goes back to his house where the housekeeper, who's this crotchety old lady and sort of manservant, who's this sort of complaining old bugger. And then there's a very young Cockney maid named Lily, played by Jean Simmons, and she is clearly besotted with the master of the house. Um, and now his wife's out of the way. And um, she... <laughs> the thing is, Lily is Cockney and of a lower class than him, but... She's a gutter I snipe. Think she's a gutter snipe, yeah. It's, it's said <laughs> by, you know, everyone. She's a gutter snipe and she you know, doesn't belong to be there and stuff. But I think Lily is a lot cleverer than people give her credit for, and Isn't she is just, able to piece yeah. together the clues that tell the real story of what happened to Stephen Lowry's wife, and that mm-hmm. is that he poisoned her. She finds evidence in the house that he poisoned her, and um, instead of taking it to the police or confronting him and demanding a love affair, she basically says to him, I want a better position in this house. I want to be the, the head of this house because you and I belong together. And that's mm-hmm. how she puts it as well. She, she doesn't say, marry me, you know, no. oh, I want your money, I want this. She says, you and I belong together, I want to take care of you, I want to, I want to, I want to be here for you. And I, 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 yeah, I will never... Every man's dream. <laughs> yeah. Gene Simmons declaring that... Gene want Simmons to wants to look after sure me for the rest yeah, of my life. Rest of your life. Where the hell do I sign up? <laughs> now, the, his response to this is... Wow, okay. Is that all you want? Okay, fine, yeah, of course. So he makes her the head of the house. She consequently gets rid of the other <laughs> servants in the house. So it's just her and him in the house. Mm-hmm. And slowly he comes to realise that he, he can't have this person in the house because she knows too much and she yeah. one day could... She, he, he, like, he is ultra-suspective of her. You oh, know, yeah. He thinks that she's playing some kind of game. On Lily's side, if you're watching the film as a fan of Lily, mm-hmm. you're just seeing this person who is so, uh, for want of a like, so in love with this person's existence. She's, it's almost like it goes yeah. beyond. It goes beyond sexual or anything like that. It just she loves him so much and she wants him to be in the world and wants him to be happy so much yeah. that she just wants him to have an easy life so she is trying everything she can just just to be there for him and be the most important thing for him kind of thing i i agree but it's not just that though it's the fact that and Mm. she says it 
it's actually towards the end of the film where she says I, I, I've been beaten my entire life I've been you know she's been put upon her entire life the um, uh, the uh, the head of the household you mentioned uh, Mrs. Park who by the mm. way was that uh, Marjorie Rhodes who is fantastic because amazing, because the first second she's on screen she's an absolute bitch and she doesn't stop being an absolute bitch for the rest of the time <laughs> she's on screen Look at her ladyship. Quick as grazed lightning if it's for the master. Moaning around the kitchen till he wants something and then she hops like a bloody kangaroo. Look what you've done now, you clumsy. And the best china too. I'll see it's taken out of your wages. You'll get another cup and be quicker about it. And you're best for changing your ways, you little gutter snipe, if you want to keep your place here. Get along with that tray and hurry back if you know what's good for you. That is, if you can tear yourself away from the master. <laughs> what I have to put up with with trash like her in my kitchen. Even though, technically, she's right in a lot of what she says. She's still horrible. <laughs> but Lily says, no, no, no. And so I've, I've, I've been ground down for my entire life and I saw an opportunity to go for something, regardless of yeah. how immoral it is. And we'll come back to that theme later. Is that yeah. regardless of how immoral it is, I've seen my chance and I'm going to go for it. Yeah, I'm a gutter but- snipe who basically wants to do something better. Yeah. Exactly. And I want yeah. to... Yeah. The, the, the issue that, that instantly comes to me for this film is that Stuart Granger, he never, he never seems that interested in her because, obviously, he's being blackmailed, which is fine. Mm. That's fair. Yeah. Um, that's that's the initial kicking off of their relationship. He, she yes. is just a, basically a housemaid, and all of a sudden... Oh, he doesn't care. They're, they're entangled, and he yes. doesn't like it. He's no. like, you know, you you blackmailed me, and that's what you are to me from now on, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But when he returns home later in the film, and she's trying on his dead wife's dresses, and he mm. kind of seduces her. It's like, okay, well, this kind of makes sense. So he might as well, because he's he's stuck in this life. So you know, fair dues. Yeah. But then the next scene and all the rest of the film happens, and he has no desire to be with her ever again. And it's like, mm. well, if you're gonna follow <laughs> forgive me but if you're gonna follow that line then follow it you know keep going but he doesn't he just abandons it straight away see i think that's one of the film's strengths because we are looking at, we are looking at this as uh through the through the lens of what would happen in a conventional film would the would gene simmons and stuart granger who were coincidentally married at the time they were a big they yeah. were a couple thing um you know it was a big thing they were you know you know big sweet couple for for cinema yeah. and very like photograph and stuff so they're in a film together everyone's assuming they're going to have this love affair relationship kind of story yeah um so they they don't at all they they no. um, you know he he basically says oh actually you're pretty enough um and i'm yeah. a little bit drunk and um <laughs> i mean i you know i'm feeling a bit you know towards you Randy. So yeah, let's do this tonight. <laughs> and then the next day he's like, "Well, that was that. You know, I'm I'm not yeah. interested anymore." But because he does that act, she mm. assumes that he is in love with her, and it changes the whole dynamic again. Um. So so basically, he he decides anyway mm. that um this 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 person is too dangerous to my ambitions. Plus, he is actually <laughs> I wouldn't say he's in love with this character called Elizabeth Travers. No. Um. It's more like 
she's an adv- an advantageous stepping stone to, yes. to wherever she she's very beautiful. She's played by Belinda Lee, who you mentioned oh, earlier on. Yeah. My word. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But 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 uh, he freely he admits that at one point. He says, mm. Well, I, I've stagnated since my wife kind of took over my life with her dying and and I need a leg up in business. So he, he gets in with Elizabeth's dad and they become business partners. It's like, well, I've got the business side up. I might as well get the, the other side up as well with his daughter. Mm. And never mind that she's already betrothed to someone else. It's just like, he is he is a selfish prick and he yeah. is going for his own end. But then again, you know, He's an- we, we, sorry, I was just going to say, <laughs> we find out very quickly that he did kill his own wife. So mm. he, he's a, he's an <laughs> of the highest yeah. order. <laughs> this is the thing. The, 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 the two main players in this film are both really bad people. Okay. I mean, Lily less so, but him, yes. he's murdered his wife, he's mm-hmm. being blackmailed, and has bedded his blackmailer. Now yeah. he is um, advantageously romancing his business partner's, partner's daughter because mm-hmm. he wants another leg up. But she is, you know, he could <laughs> either woman. Oh, yeah, exactly. He could, be, he could have either woman and be <laughs> equally happy, but he yeah. thinks to himself, this one will be slightly more advantageous. So now yeah. I need to get rid of Lily because she's just a bit of an annoyance now. She's blackmailing me and I need to get rid of her. Um, mm. Which leads to the film's title, now, yes, it's worth, it's worth quickly saying that um, there is a, a a side character in this called Constable Burke, who is one of these characters oh, okay. who who sort yeah. of patrols the streets outside and says, "He's such a nice guy." He's so lovely. You don't want I mean, anything <laughs> bad to happen to him, and of course, no. lo and behold. <laughs> so basically, um, oh. Stephen Lowry decides one night. I've had enough of this bloody Lily person mm. um, messing up my my life. She's wearing my wife's dresses when my friends are over, for God's sake, and she's completely obsessed with me. So basically, I need to do away with her. Uh-huh. So he gets himself a a club or a crowbar or golf she's club, Kane, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, he waits till she goes outside one night, and he follows her out. And it's a very foggy night, and he creeps up behind her and beats her to death in the streets. And yeah. there we go. He goes back to the house, you know, and he waits and bang, 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 bang. There's a knock on the door and it is, have you seen the man that's just beaten to death? The girl in the street. And, uh, yeah, do you want to take it from here? For a second? Constable Ferramis, I'm sorry to disturb you. Oh, good evening, Mr. Lowry. Oh, good evening. I'm warning everybody in the neighbourhood to keep their windows and doors bolted. There's been a murder done. Near here? Right outside the Blue Anchor. And the worst of it is, sir, the man got clean away. Do you know who it was that that got murdered? Katie Burke. You must know her husband, miss. He's been on this beat quite a while now. Constable Burke's way. It's horrible. It is that, sir. As nice a young woman as you'd ever find. And with two little boys. Well, if you hear anything suspicious, call the police right off. Good night, sir. Absolutely. Because this is wonderful. Is that obviously he's quite obviously he's quite the aristocrat, and so he is not instantly thought of any wrongdoing. And the police shoo away. And a wonderful shot, by the way. Of the 
the camera focuses on the lock of the door and you just see mm. a key just slowly coming through the other side and then flips the, <laughs> the lock open and lo and behold it's Lily and she's absolutely fine mm. and she's sort of going oh my god it's crazy out there there's police everywhere they're looking for a crazed murderer so hard to tell in the fog I almost got trampled and blah 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 mm. and she's doing her mm. housemaidly is that a word housemaidly it's, duties so- it's, it's like, how are you, my darling? How are you, my... Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> Why did you been... wouldn't believe it. Yeah, oh, it's fantastic. It, yeah, I mean, so it well is. Done. It is literally a honey, I'm home moment. Yeah, honey, and, I'm home. Uh, and he can't believe she's yeah. home because he just yeah. beat her to death in the fog. Yes. <laughs> and, she, and she plays it superbly. She really does. Mm. And she's tidying up and then she gets his coat and then she hangs it on the hook and she sort of you know, brushes it down, gets the detritus of it. And lo and behold, there's blood on his coat and she gets blood on her hand and she knows straight away what he's done because she had a hooded cloak on when she went out Mm -hmm. and he thought he was killing her. Horribly, he has just killed the wife of the police constable and the mother of two children. (laughs) I shouldn't laugh. You're right, you're right. That is a moment to laugh. Yeah. (laughs) It was just because, it's just because is that he instantly goes, right, how do I get out of this? Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like... There's no empathy at all. It's no, just, no. what do I do to get out of this? Yeah, how yeah, do yeah. I save my and, own skin? And, and it's, it's oh, a no, great... Hang on, hang on. The best bit, the best bit, the best bit of how to save his own skin <laughs> is to employ the guy who was betrothed to Elizabeth <laughs> just to rub his face in it. <laughs> this is a... do you know as well this is a great this is a really great left turn in a movie because it's 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 like it's not it's just not conventional in any way first thing you get lily going hi i'm home and you go what you were dead (laughs) right and it's done so convincingly there's there's no like you know you don't ever think to yourself oh lily's not dead at all you think lily's dead Oh, Absolutely, yeah. it sells it perfectly. So you're thinking Lily's dead, and she walks in the house, blah blah blah, and you don't think to yourself, "Well, he's gonna, he's gonna." You, you do think to yourself, "He's gonna cover it up somehow, that she, mm-hmm. so that she doesn't know what's just happened." Yeah. But within about thirty seconds, she knows everything. She's yeah. like, "You tried to kill me, didn't you?" And, oh my but god! But he doesn't say anything. She works no, he doesn't it all say out. anything. Yeah. She works it all out like this, and and, and, and it's brilliant because the the. The acting between them both is mm. is so perfectly done. Wonderful. You know that she knows what's happened. You know that he knows that she knows. And then, <laughs> as it, as it as it's about to like kick off between them, you get a <laughs> on the door, and you're like, "What now?" <laughs> <laughs> and it's people looking for the killer of yeah. the woman in the fog who was wearing the cape. And Lily has all the power in this mm-hmm. scene. All she has to do is say. There's the guy. He was trying to kill me, and he's killed the wrong girl. But mm. does she do that? No, no she doesn't. Because we're no. only about 35 minutes into the film. She's <laughs> fantastic. I can't believe how good this film is. Because it just gets you to look. It's got you by this point. You're like, what? Can, what else could possibly happen? This is like a this is like a last act reveal. This is like a 78 minute reveal. But we're yeah. not. We're not like 35 minutes of a. 90 minute film it's like where can it go from here incredibly it does even better things but go on it, it reminded me of that line in Fight Club when they go we have just lost cabin pressure it was literally <laughs> boom. it was like oh shit 
But also <laughs> is the fact that we need to point out, as you say, this is literally, uh, it's a uh, 89 minute long movie. And this is mm. half an hour into it. it. This is not wasted time at all. No. That opening half hour goes at a breakneck speed. Even the, there's a couple of little scenes with like Elizabeth and Stephen and and Lily and and whatnot, which could you could you, if you want to be brutal, could <laughs> accuse of being a little slow in it. But then you look at it, it's going nope, no, no. It was at exactly the right pace it needed to be. Mm. And and but as I said, that interplay between them is wonderful. But then of course you get this 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 <laughs> the twist is that. Steven's in the shit. So yeah, he is, that's go- the he great is going twist to about get it. arrested. <laughs> he, like, she doesn't say no, he was home all night. No, no. They take him away because someone's seen him in the street oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, a woman. He did. <laughs> he did. I mean, right. Can I offer a little bit of advice? I, mean, I know podcasting is unregulated, but if you, if you want to kill someone, don't kill him outside a pub because people are going to see you. <laughs> people flock to that. They as soon really as they do. hear any kind of disturbance outside a pub, they're all fight. <laughs> I don't know if that's just the country. UK thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. In this country, you'll get your head kicked in. <laughs> but no. oh, it was so wonderful. Uh, but uh, right, I've I've got a real big love of courtroom scenes. Okay, I just mm. I love them. I find them endlessly fascinating, regardless of how fake they are and not true to life i just find them wonderful um the one in jfk i cry every time i watch but then you know like the one we talked about with uh on um uh in uh boris fest you know with uh mm. karloff giving that wonderful eulogy <laughs> of really having <laughs> to just, go at all of i love it he bollocks everyone for about 15 it. minutes straight doesn't he i know i know that's so why good. i said it <laughs> I know how to turn you on, so. But they're, they're, we have we've had some wonderful court scenes, and and the court scene for this is brilliant because you know the is guilty, you know mm, he is. Yeah. they've got but eyewitnesses. You, yeah. Well, yeah, but then but then you your your movie courtroom brain kicks in. And you go ah, oh, they're going to talk to the local rummies, and that's just going to mm. destroy the whole case. But then, of course, it's not down to them; it's down to Lily. Mm. Because yeah, and doesn't oh. she play it perfectly yes. as well? It's, it's, it's everything, even down to the cane. It's oh yes. god, it's just so good. Now, Lily, do you remember the evening of November the third? I do, sir. Can you tell us where Mr. Lowry was between eight thirty and nine thirty that night? Yes, sir. He didn't leave the house all evening. How do you know? Well, I was with Mr. Lowry every minute of the time. And were you in the room with him every minute of the time? Oh, no, sir. I had my duties to attend to. But you know exactly where Mr. Lowry was every minute, is that it? Yes, sir. He didn't leave the drawing room until he went upstairs to his room. Well, I suggest that Mr. Lowry did leave the drawing room, Miss Watkins, and that he also left the house. Oh, but he couldn't have done so, not without me knowing it. And I suggest that if you didn't know it, it was because between nine o'clock and a quarter past, you were in another part of the house, intent on your duty. Oh, no, sir. At nine, according to the town hall clock, I was in the dining room polishing the silver before putting it away. Well, the drawing room being just across the hall, Mr. Lowry was in plain sight the whole time. And what was the duration of this whole time, during which you watched from the dining room while he stayed in the drawing room? About half an hour, sir. Then I went up to do the fire in his room. 
I was on my way to the servants' quarters and I heard Mr. Lowry come up the stairs and go into his room. There is someone, I presume, who can corroborate your testimony? Oh, Mr. Lowry can. I don't mean the prisoner. One of the other servants, perhaps. Oh, well, I'm the only servant in the house, sir. If witnesses swear they saw Mr. Lowry near the Anchor pub about 9.15, do you say they're lying? Either that, sir, or drunk. <laughs> And that's just the mark of great writing because we're only halfway through the film and we've had like what, five twists already and it yeah. just keeps going. That's what I love about this film. It just keeps whirring and whirring and whirring and whirring. Basically, it all rests on what Lily will say. And yeah. we, you can see from the running time that obviously he's not going to get hung. But it's just how she's going to try, how she's going to get him out of this thing and why. Yeah. Because why would you try and get a guy out of trouble if he's tried to kill you and has, you know, messed it up? So, um... Uh, yeah, no, I agree. And by the way, I would like to point this out, is that um, we haven't really mentioned him, which is Bill Travers, who plays mm. uh, David, who were, who was the betrothed to Elizabeth, but now isn't. He's been cast yeah. aside. But Stephen's been an absolute <laughs> and hired him as his lawyer or solicitor, mm. whichever you wish, which is a dick move. But it does work to be fair. But Bill Travers, I really love in this scene because you mm. see the duality between him. You see him fighting against each other. He doesn't want to get Stephen out of trouble, but he's it's his job, so he mm. kind of has to do it. Confusingly, Bill Travers plays David MacDonald, who is mm. Lowry's lawyer, and um, Belinda Lee plays Elizabeth Travers. <laughs> oh, yeah. In the film, who was uh, the, the daughter of Alfred that. Travers. <laughs> So there's lots of Travers how, how uh, action in this film. Yes. Anyway. Yeah, that's that's really weird. So basically what happens is after the court case, mm. um, Lowry decides to go all in on Elizabeth. And thank you very much for getting me out of uh, trouble, but uh, obviously you, <laughs> double jeopardy laws mean I can't be tried twice. So uh, why don't we uh, just agree to part ways? But Lily is... Just not having it, is it? She's she's, she's a limp, a, a, like a limpet crab. She's got her hooks in, and she's sticking with Stephen. She wants to be his life partner. I think. I know this is going to sound a little odd, but do you not have a little more sympathy with her now? Oh my god, yes, yeah. I mean, your sympathy is with her anyway. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, she's still not. A great she's person, a dastardly character. Yeah, but she's not purely villainous and evil like Stephen. But yeah, yeah she's—I mean, she's a baddie, isn't she? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, she is. She is. But I don't know. I—I I think where sympathy goes, you have to give it to her because. Oh yeah, absolutely. 100%. She may be a. Bit, I'm going to bleep this, obviously, but she may be a bitch, but she's not. A <laughs> <laughs> I really hope you do believe that. I'm going to have to. <laughs> but no. I really hope you do. I really hope you do. But it, <laughs> anyway, but this is where Stephen pushes on with his, forgive the term, but conquest of Elizabeth, and he announces uh, they're going to get engaged, and it's the way he goes home and tells Lily that well, you're superfluous to me because I'm getting engaged to this woman anyway, mm. who's who's better looking, she's younger and all this. And, and also, she doesn't know I killed my wife, which is a mm. great bonus, by the way. Yeah. He's a two-time killer now. You know, he didn't ever kill my wife, didn't ever kill Const Constable Burke's wife. Um, Thank you. 
yeah. we need to focus well, on that. He's a double yeah, I know. murderer. He's a double He's one away from a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he could kill Lily, but the thing is, it would be so obvious it was him. The, but the brilliant thing is, at this moment, you're expecting him to have the the what the agency over their relationship yes. because thanks very much for you know mm. thanks for all the fish whatever you know I'm out <laughs> here <laughs> goodbye and thank you for all the fish um but amazingly mm. she once again has the upper hand because defies it unbeknownst all. to Stephen she's uh, detailed his entire criminal record in a letter and sent it to yeah. her sister. Yeah. So all of a sudden he's under the thumb again, which is brilliant. <laughs> it's it, it's a wonderful twist, and you don't you don't see it coming at all. Obviously, we we'd seen her in a, in the earlier scene of of going out to the letterbox because that's when he thought he was killing her. Mm. Um, but then here is the masterstroke of this bit because I will be perfectly honest. We got into this last act, this last half hour, twenty five minutes, and I'm like, oh, they've. They're letting this drag a little bit. There's a little too much mm. treading water. But what do they do? <laughs> they throw in. They throw in a brother-in-law mm-hmm. who is a, a degenerate gambler and also a blackmailer as well. Mm. I, 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 I was just like, oh, they're not doing this, are they? And it was like, oh, yes, they are. Yeah, he's a <laughs> dickhead who knows he can make some money out of these rich people. But I, I, I loved it. Uh, it's yeah, fantastic. Uh, Here, what's Lily want you to burn that for? I don't know. Says it's all a pack of lies. Seems a lot of trouble to go to, writing a pack of lies and asking someone to burn it up. So put it on the fire and forget all about it. When I wrote it, I was feeling mean and spiteful and took pleasure in making something up that might cause trouble to someone. Meaning, oh, I wonder. But everything has changed now. And I'm not afraid of nothing. Hmm. And another thing. Why should she have thought that something might happen to her sudden? Well, so it might to anyone. Yes, but you don't go writing letters about it. You may laugh at me, old girl, but I've got a sort of queer hunch about this billy-do of Lily's. You know, that we might sort of learn something about her if uh, we took a look. That's not honest. And since when's being honest paid you anything? All I had in mind was that you'd feel happier knowing something about your only little sister. Which, uh, maybe you ought to know. I was getting, uh, not bored, but I was I was getting to the fact that, as I said, I thought this was treading water. The I th- really thing did is, for when, five or ten you, minutes. When you get, that's the thing, I think, I think, I, I, I kind of got that feeling too, but I mm. think that's because we've had so many acts in so short a time. You do think well, this must be the end. And then because it wasn't the end, you go, oh, what? Like yeah. it's, but all of a sudden you realise, no, this is the beautiful the beautiful yeah. thing about this film. It Agreed. just keeps going, it keeps twisting, and it goes off in other branches. And you, you realise yourself, it's only because of um, prior films conditioning that I feel this way. Yep. Actually, I should have just gone with this from the beginning because now what happens is uh, Lily sends a message to her sister saying, that letter I sent you, Stephen's told me he loves me and he wants me to marry yeah, him. Forget blah, blah, blah. It. So this is his <laughs> latest ploy. Um, can you please put that letter in the fire? And mm-hmm. the sister makes the cardinal mistake of saying to her, as you say, you know, mm-hmm. layabout, 
criminal husband. Yep. Lily wants me to put this letter in the fire, and he immediately thinks, why? Mm-hmm. So she dumps it in the fire and leaves the room. And then we're so left So slimy. <laughs> He's so good. William Hartnell played the first doctor, of course. You know, so a fantastic actor played the sergeant in Carry On Sergeant. One of these, you know, legendary British faces and you know our, our good friend Scott Phipps if he's listening oh, yeah. to this right now is saying oh William Hartnell no William Hartnell you've been in the village green hall of fame I, I, I think Kev well. might have words to say about him as well but <laughs> yeah exactly. but but he's wonderful um, I, I, I didn't know that was him until it's about, he's so young obviously yeah he's yeah but um, you can see the hawk like face he's so good in this he, he is he is spectacular and he plays the sleazy creepy as i said gambler he's so into his gambling that he's stealing uh, uh, money off his wife and uh, but he he sees this opportunity and he goes for it granted it doesn't end well for him good Mm -hmm. because he's an ass Mm -hmm. which is wonderful but um (laughs) i i didn't while i was watching i did not see this twist coming and when it did i was like i've got it now okay i've got why there was that little lull because Mm -hmm. it was like we're going to hit you with this twist. And mm. it was like, great. And when he did, I was very relieved. Little did I know that there were two more twists to come in. Two more twists. Film. And not just, not. I mean, I mean, they've saved the biggest twists. Yeah. <laughs> Christ alive. Because let's say at first, um, William Hartnell's character, Herbert, he mm. doesn't go to Stephen directly. He goes oh, to yeah. Stephen's lawyer, played Genius. by Bill Travers, uh, and says, I've got evidence that your client actually did mm. the crime. You know, no, 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 no. He He's trying to force his way into to, to meeting Stephen. Mm. Uh, David comes along and he goes, ah, you're no, Stephen. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, he thinks he's yeah. him, doesn't he? Yeah, that's right. Sorry, I do. I, do, I misremembered that. No, 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 it's fine. But, um, mm. but, he, but he does that. And that's what, again, that's such a surprise because mm. he is not, uh, but David is very clever. He never says no, I'm not him. Yeah. Because obviously... He wants to hear what he's got to sell first before he says anything. Absolutely. I mean, mm. A, he's gutted that he won a case, but he thinks his client's guilty. And B, that his client has stolen his betrothed of him. Yeah. <laughs> so he's really f***ed <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> he's been bent over and done proper. Hasn't, hasn't he? <laughs> just, he's been mm. smacked on the arse with a wet fish. And mm. he was just sort of like, he's had to take it. Until now he's gone, ooh. I've got an opportunity here. But mm. he does it so coolly as well. Um, I, I think Bill Travers is wonderful in this because mm. he plays it he, so well. He would have been a way better Stephen Lowry, I think. You know, Don't you think? Like, he's great in the hero huh. role, but I think the hero role is a bit one-dimensional. But I think the Stephen Lowry role where he's just so scheming, I think Bill Travers I is just a better better presence, I think, than, than Super I, 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 I hadn't thought of it that way at all, but yeah, I, I can see that, yeah. Mm. But uh, but but he's got the height and he's got the voice and I and I buy him as the hero, even mm. though actually he's it's kind of uh, dangerous looking, isn't he? But he but he's he's also he's also an unexpected hero because he's kind of on the sidelines quite a lot, and so I I kind of like that. I I think it works for him in this film, and uh, and also is that. You, you need it. Right, this is why I'm going back to It's Love I'm After, is that, is that you get it at the end. The girl who's been infatuated with the actor at the end realises he's a knob and then goes back to her original love. There's that thing there. 
And uh, and I think it works in this film really well uh, too because uh, Elizabeth at the end sort of goes, oh yeah, I've I've gone after the wrong guy now, and mm. and, and he's there and he's been there since the beginning, mm. and uh, and I think that works really well. Mm. But that, as we said, is not the only twist here, <laughs> which That's is because yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Is that, of course, Herbert, uh, William Hartnell, mm. uh, has obviously tried to blackmail to get some money. That hasn't worked. He gets taken away to the police. And, of course, Lily gets taken to the police, too. Well, let's just quickly back up there. Okay. Basically, the net result of um, Herbert going to see David is that mm -hmm. the letter itself finds its yes. way to the police. Now, Lowry has sort of gotten to the point now where he's desperate measures needs to get rid of Lily. Yeah, so oh, yes. he, yeah. he's come up with this plan. What he's going to do is he's going to pretend he's ill. Mm -hmm. He's going to take small doses of the poison he's... he used to kill his wife. The, the, he's is, literally microdosing. This is, this is <laughs> under, because let's be honest, we've talked about a lot of the stories so far. There is still all of this going on. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, Herbert's just given up the letter to the police, which details in Lily's handwriting everything that, that Lowry has done. Lowry is trying to rid himself of Lily. So what yep. he's doing is he's microdosing on, as you say, the poison that he killed his wife with. Because he will now try to frame Lily for his own poisoning. So what mm -hmm. he's doing is he is taking microdoses of his poison. He's making himself very ill. He's feigning illness. And what he does is he said to Lily one night, I need you to get the doctor. I'm really, really sick. And she mm. says, okay, I'm going to go and get the doctor. And he says, I need you back here in five minutes. And yep. she says to him, okay, I'm going to get the doctor. I'll be back in five minutes. I can't believe I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry yep. about it. And she rushes off to get the doctor. He knows he's got five minutes to, uh, before the doctor gets back. So he takes yep. enough of the poison that if the doctor gets back within five minutes, he'll be able to be saved. Yeah. So he takes another poison, plants the poison bottle in Lily's room. So it looks mm -hmm. like she's been poisoning him so that she will be framed for his attempted murder. <laughs> what he does not realise is that uh -huh. now that the police have Lily's letter, yep. the moment they see her leave the house, they pick her up and take her to the station. Now, Lowry is full of poison that will kill him uh -huh. if... A doctor doesn't get to him. And Lily, the only person who could have got a doctor and taken the doctor to Lowry, mm -hmm. is in the, the police Custody. station answering yeah. questions. Oh, it's such a tangled knot. Isn't it? <laughs> it's wonderful. It's but fantastic. also is the fact that, of course, you know, and Lily's very convincing. She's been convincing from the very beginning of this film. And, of course, they, they get her in there. They show her the letter. She says, oh, I didn't write that. Yeah. And the... <laughs> And so they say, right, we need a sample of your handwriting to compare. Mm. And she writes something out, doesn't match at all, but we know that Lily is faking because she did write that letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she says, right, I need to go out, I need to go and get the doctor. And as she's rushing out, they go, oh, well, you're not going to do us for wrongful arrest, are you? She goes, no, 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 not at all. And they said, well, can you just sign so we're not in trouble? And so she does. And, and rushes I'm off watching, to get the doctor. I'm watching this going, well, that's weird why would mm. why would they do that and, and so quickly but of course as soon as she's gone they take her signature into the back yep. into the room yeah and lo it's and behold all a ploy it's yep. fantastic it's yep. so well done oh 
It's, it's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. a brilliant moment because obviously, you know, oh, could you please write out this sentence? She's going to think to herself, I need to change my handwriting so it doesn't match. Yeah. But if you're on your way out and you're in a rush, sign this, please, just to let us know. You know, yeah, here you go, and off she goes. Yeah. That's her real handwriting. So they take yeah. that sample of her signature in and they match it up immediately and find out that the, the letter is legitimate. Stephen yeah. Lowry has killed two people. Mm-hmm. So off they go to arrest him. Smokey, you take it from here. This is just, it just well, keeps going and going. That's well, I, I, love I, I love the part that everyone that is in the uh, in the room at the police station is it, just suddenly everyone is aware. Um, David's there, Elizabeth's there, uh, the judge is there. They all know that he is now guilty, you know, but it's also that they know that Lily is complicit as well. Mm. It, you know, obviously she hasn't killed anyone, but she is there's something wrong with her too and so yeah we get back to to steven's mansion and obviously he is there with the doctor and the police is saying well you know this is all down to lily she killed my wife you know and uh, and she's been poisoning me as well and obviously she comes across as an hysterical woman where we know she's telling the truth but she's going no he did it all he killed his wife mm. And uh, but then of course yeah as we say it we get the uh, we get the wonderful plot point of when Stephen realizes that she wasn't just gone for five minutes and he is in fact very very screwed mm. and it, the whole realization between her and between him and between everyone else in the room is just a wonderful way of showing <laughs> two two horrible people meeting their comeuppance. Mm. And I still have sympathy for Lily. I'm not going to lie. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. if you see the film through her eyes, uh-huh. all she's done is try to protect him, save him. All she wants is his love and approval. He, behind the scenes, has been trying to hang her, get her <laughs> arrested for murder, for this murdering his true. wife, taking the blame for the crimes he's done. And, you know, and at this moment, where her eyes meet his dying eyes because yeah. he he his plot has failed. He's spent too long with this poison in his body and he's going to die. And his last act on earth is not to exonerate this person who has tried desperately to help right. him. He looks her in the eye and says, <laughs> that person tried to kill me and my wife. And it, yeah. it basically dies. And she yeah. is it's just devastating because you see her face. She's like, God, what else could I have done? What yeah. more could I have done to help you? What are you doing there, Bottom? What's happened? Don't touch me. Get away from me. You murderers. What's he talking about? Mr. Lowry claims that you've been poisoning him and that you poisoned his wife. him he must be delirious where did you find that I found this bottle in your room along with all this other stuff here but you couldn't have done how could you have found it in my room well somebody must have put it there You 
thing. You've been giving that poison to yourself. That's why you weren't getting any better. And all the time I was nursing you were nearly going out of my mind with worry. You've been planning to get me arrested for trying to kill you. Well, it won't work too much. It won't work. I want to flow something. Regardless, I, I, Lily is an immoral person. We mentioned that before. Mm. Has she technically done anything illegal? No. Well, I mean, she's, I would say she's complicit in covering up because she lied and there was perjury and, you know, uh, in, in, in an court. accessory. Mm. But her herself, she she never she never killed anyone. Mm. Technically, she blackmailed a murderer, but again, immoral. But is it is she really? She's not a bad. I, I mean, a terribly bad person. I can't, I can't see her going off to the gallows. Let's say that. No, but I mean, I mean, she's definitely going to prison. I mean, she years perj- of manslaughter. Maybe? Well, she perjured herself in court for about the constable Burke's wife. That's thing. true. Actually, um, she, yes. You know, she she, she withheld evidence about you know him killing his wife. And yeah. she lied about the letter. I mean, there's definitely a jail sentence coming. Again, but it's she's it's more immoral. <laughs> it's more the fact that you know he's dying anyway, and yeah. he could have said, "I'm dying anyway." Exonerate her with a couple of words, and he doesn't. You know, no. and it's that cruel, that final stab That's in the chest. It's very, very cold. He's but it's. A- but how unconventional for this uh, films of this era, and that's what I think I loved about it so much mm-hmm. because it was just so refreshing to be punched in the face that many times during the yeah. runtime, uh, during a ninety-minute runtime, and it was yeah. just constantly. Uh, th- this film can't possibly get any colder. Oh, it just did, and then, you know, and, then, and it and it goes, "Hey, you warm yet?" And you go, "Yes, I am now, thank you." And it slaps you across the blood. <laughs> <laughs> it just constantly, constantly beats you around the face. Mm. Um, yeah, doesn't no, it just? I, I, I admired it so much. It's just, it's a fantastic Agreed. film. Yeah, it is. It. It's a, it's a wonderful <laughs> film, and I think that's in in the three years almost that we've been doing this. I think that's the most <laughs> detailed walkthrough we've ever given for a, for a film because it just needs talking about. We probably should have given a spoiler warning at the start, but I th- I'll put it in the show notes. It's fine. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> well, that's uh, that's first steps in the fog. Uh, oh, all right, <laughs> do I even need to ask? Uh, what what is your final thoughts and a rating for Footsteps in the Fog? <laughs> um, I, I love it. I think it's a great film. It was a real surprise to me. I'm still processing it a lot, to be mm. honest, because um, it, I, I think it's a film I'm going to go back to a lot. It lingers, so, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So for me, it's it's a nine. It's, <gasps> it, yeah, it's it, I, <laughs> I love it so much. I mean, there are there are bits in it I go, oh yeah, that's a bit, and I, you know, but but I you know with me, I, I tend mm-hmm. to jump both feet into it to uh, my ratings. With this one, I'm gonna be slightly more conserved. I, I yeah. think it's I think it's a fantastic film, and a nine mm-hmm. is 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 me saying it's definitely wonderful. definitely checking out. 10, I think, is something that um, I reserve for films that I would pin my heart to. <laughs> Brighton Strangler. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is no Brighton Strangler. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's an absolutely brilliant film. I think it's I think I think its main power comes from its immaculate plot and its um, incredible construction. I think Stuart Granger was a mistake of Stephen Lowry because I don't think he possesses the depth that needed or the sort of, if, if this was an Alan Rickman kind of uh, person at the, you okay. know, or, or someone a bit more, I don't know, 
Oh, Rickman would have been amazing. Do you know what? Do you know who I'd love to have seen from this era play this role? I think okay. Cary, Cary Grant would have been the most perfect person to play this role because he has this real dark side, but this real appealing side. I think Stuart Granger, for me, just takes it down a point every time. If Cary Grant had gotten in there at the end and said, yeah, she, she tried to kill me and she tried to kill my wife, she killed my wife. I think I would have been absolutely like, oh my God, give that guy an Oscar. You have to take it in context and I mm, carry. Yeah. Okay. Fair dues. Fair dues. Mm. Um, I I would say, I would say um, all of the acting plaudits for me go to Jean Simmons in this. I think she is just perfection in this and um, Bill Travers as well. Bill Travers is great. And uh, Mm. Belinda Lee is wonderful as well. William Hartnell as the, Um, as her, uh, I'm kind of in love with Belinda Lee at the moment, to be perfectly honest, uh, Mm. because I've seen a few films with her in recently, so she hasn't left my mind very much. But yeah, no, the acting is is wonderful from everyone. I mean, this is a film from 1955 I'd never heard of before, Mm -hmm. um, starring big stars as well, and yet it's completely passed me by, and that's what I love so much about this era of filmmaking and why we need to save institutions like TCM, because they constantly throw up things like this. So... um, that's why Footsteps in the Fog, immaculate, absolutely brilliant, and such a fantastic story. Ni- 1955, Footsteps in the Fog, one of the noirs you'll never <laughs> never forget. It's so good. It's so good. I love the fact that it's in Technicolor as well. You class um, this as noir? Yeah, I think this is a noir. Hmm. Okay. But, okay if, if you'd set this in LA, 1940, black and white, with the same character, same story, 100%. Fair noir. enough. Well, I, I mean, I can't disagree. I mean, it's it's a wonderful film, and I'm so glad it was uh, brought to to you and you brought it to us. And um, just like with most of the things we review on here, that there's always uh, something wonderful about uh, watching films from from the golden age, and and this is no exception. It's it's, it's a fantastic film, as we say. The great performances, as we say. Maybe maybe we're being too harsh on Stuart Granger, but he, he do, <laughs> he's just not quite there he's like a cricket bat with a bow tie on that's a, a, problem little, a little bit but he's no, he's no john loader and um <laughs> uh, but but the um the the script is is wonderful and that the, the, as i said that the color and the sets are gorgeous and the scenes in the fog are fantastic but yeah i i still can't forgive it that little bit just at the start of the third act, even though I know there's a sucker punch coming, multiple sucker punches coming. I there's that's what takes the the shine of it for me, and also that opening conceit of 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 Stephen going with Lillian, and it not really, I, I I it didn't quite land for me, but that's very too, uh, uh sorry. Uh, two very nitpicky uh, type of moments. And so I'm not going to chastise it very much for that. So it's a nine from me as well. I think, I think wow. this is exceptional. What a wonderful film. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm so glad I've seen it. And and I was today, right at the time of recording, uh, England are playing Australia in the ashes. And I've been glued to the cricket all day. And I knew I had to watch this film. And I was like, I was trying to pick a moment to watch it when I knew I had uh, 89 minutes. And I thought <laughs> I picked the right moment. And I'm keeping an eye on the cricket and, and watching this film. And I forgot about the cricket, which has been an amazing day of, of cricket. And I didn't care about it for 89 minutes. This film took my attention completely. What a wonderful film. Yeah. And uh, thank you, Robert, who uh, who gave it uh, 
who gave it to us. 1955's Footsteps in the Fog, better mm-hmm. than cricket, Smokey. Better when uh, England are getting their arse handed to them by the Aussies because we really did badly today. But there you go. Okay, so we we don't need to close out the show properly because we already know what we're going to to watch next. Uh, remind yeah. me and the listeners what it was called. It's called nineteen. It's called a sing and like it. It's called 1934. <laughs> Sorry, it's 1934's <laughs> Sing and Like It, starring sting. Edward Everett Horton. Um, Nat Pendleton and right. Zezu Pitts, and it is really fun. I, I you know, it's not, it's not, it's not a life changer, but it's just a really good, fun time. You're gonna love it. I look forward to it. I look forward to it. And uh, as as we said, and then the episode after that is going to be our episode thirty, and it's going to be my choice. And I can't wait to tell you what I'm, uh, what I've picked for you. Tell me music. But that's good. <laughs> it's- <laughs> I'm not I'm, no <laughs> just no <laughs> alright my friends well I mean this is this has been great what, what a fantastic film to watch together so uh, alright well until next time my friend all the best lines <laughs> If you want to kill someone, don't kill them outside the pub, because people are going to see you. <laughs> people flock to that. They as really soon as they do. hear any kind of disturbance outside the pub, they're all fucked. <laughs> <laughs>